0: Today I will be reading for you and preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter 3, and I'm actually going to overlap a little bit into Maharus's passage from a couple of weeks ago, and I will be reading for you from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, and then I'm actually going to stop earlier than what I had anticipated on verse 11. Hear now the word of God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Lord Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have such an abundance of your word pointing us to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we have seen in the previous passage that was read during the lectionary readings and in this passage that there can be those who can hear but still have hardened hearts. So we pray now that as we go into your word, that we would hear but not have hardened hearts, that our hearts would be broken and softened, and that we would truly have greater confidence in your son, Jesus Christ. And that we would live lives boasting in our hope, which is he. Father, may this be so by the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. A perfect dovetail parallel to the question that we had in the Heidelberg Catechism that he is our only hope, but that we would actually come together as his people and that we would proclaim. it is That is our boasting. Our confession of faith, faith is our boasting. We may think when we think of the word boasting, we often think of boasting of ourselves. And it's not to be different from that understanding of that verb, but the boasting is in the Lord, that we are to boast about our hope in Jesus Christ. It is to be boasting in a way. My children, often when we were first having children, one of the things I taught them is not to do that song, the na-na-na-na, you know, that kind of song. Because that song, there's nothing good about that. You know, whenever you win something, you are boasting to the other person about your victory. that the only time that that should ever come out of our lips is when we're doing it to Satan. <laughs> that we are going, nah, nah, nah. Jesus is our victor over you. And that we should never posture ourselves to each other in that way. That our boasting should always and only be in the Lord. I just had to get that out there before I even start this morning. <laughs> the chapter that we have here in Hebrews chapter 3, the opening verse is a verse that you should try to memorize there. That verse is a—it's just like a, a good paragraph. If you write a paragraph, your first sentence should have embodied in it at least some idea of what the whole is encountering here. And we have in this intro, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling consider Jesus. I loved Maharusa's title for his sermon a couple of Sundays ago. I'm going to continue to, to have that before our minds as we go through that passage. We are to continue to be thinking about Jesus as our holy Brother, our big brother, and that we are to remember that we share, and there's that word share covers a lot of territory when it comes to what we share in the benefits and in the calling that we have in Jesus Christ, and we are to continue to consider Jesus, that, that verb consider, that active consideration of Jesus, that meditation of Jesus, that centering in, that boasting in Jesus Christ so I want to highlight that and that should just always be over um, as you hear this sermon and even to uh, next week's sermon that that particular verse, that particular phrase, that particular wonderful benefit that we have in Jesus should continue to be over all that you hear this day and next Sunday. I don't know about you, but one of the things that my family and I do, we, we're cheap cheapskakes, and we, we do these timeshare things, and uh, we still keep doing them. Even though we have a timeshare, we keep finding ourselves. When you go to the Vast Pro Shop, um, I don't know if there's something. I don't, I'm not advertising for the Vast Pro Shop, but it's a, it's a beneficial thing. We've gone a couple of times, and they've been able to get us to do these these trips and they give you all this stuff and we have found the last two times we've done them that they are they actually are benefit and we go on these trips and one of the interesting things as soon as we sign up for one of these trips um, we we, you pay this one thing and you go and then you go to these resorts and when you go to a resort you have all of these benefits because you're kind of a temporary member of this particular resort and I'm a planner. You know, I'm like, when I go, I want to do everything possible that my benefits in, are covering. I, and it drives my family, I think, crazy a little bit. I mean, they benefit from it because they're not taking the time to read and figure all these things out. But I want to do everything. And, and when I went on my honeymoon with Jennifer, we I wanted to do everything in New England that I could possibly do in one week. And it, it surprised she stayed married to me because I... Put her all over the place, and she just wanted to sit down and rest. But you know what it's like. You know, when you have the benefit, when you have the membership of something, you want to get the benefits. And, you know, think about whenever you purchase something, and they have the phrase included with purchase. You know, you want to know what those things are. It's very important that you understand the benefits. And if you don't know about the benefits, you will miss out. know you'll you might miss something you know if you the end of your trip or if you purchase something have you ever been in a situation where maybe you had a benefit and then you went ahead and paid for it again you didn't know that you had that like maybe if you went like a particular hotel sometimes they have a restaurant you don't realize that maybe your one night stay comes with a meal and you go into the restaurant and you pay for the meal and you actually missed out, or you didn't go eat because you didn't realize that you had a free meal available to you and you couldn't afford the meal and you miss out. You want to know what the benefits of your membership is. You want to know what the benefits are of of whatever has been purchased. Now, maybe you're already letting your mind go with where I'm going with this, that in our situation with the Lord, he has purchased us. He has purchased this tremendous inheritance for us. And it's so important that we understand the benefits. In this particular passage today, you might not think so because it ends kind of in a rough note because it talks about wrath and not receiving the rest of the Lord. But the context of this particular passage that he's highlighting in Psalm 95 is that he is talking to people that should know that they are members of the house of God and that there is a particular benefit with those who have this membership and to encourage them to enter into those benefits and to live out those benefits because if you don't, you will miss out. You will miss out on the rest that the Lord has accomplished it 's not the other way around now it 's interesting and I love just like Dave mentioned in our prayer time earlier that you know I, that you can summarize our calling in ministry with repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can enter into every conflict with repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is a hand. That's a continual thing to live. But for those who are his, in a sense, it is to believe because the kingdom of heaven is a hand. Now continue to live out your life in repentance. It goes the other way also. It is, in this case, it is calling us to understand that we have this membership in Christ, who is our big brother, and we have big benefits that come with this membership in the house of God. We see here in the verses that I read that now Moses was, a faithful, was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, this is verse 5, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses was there for a purpose for God's house, but he was a servant, pointing. Now here we've got to think about the whole context of where Hebrews is. We're seeing now how everything has been ultimately a servant for pointing to the glory of Christ and for the salvation of his people. And here we are again looking at Moses being in the same context as with the angels, that they are serving this greater and bigger, more superior brother And that everything that he testified to was pointing to what was going to be spoken and fulfilled in Christ. And it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house, not as a servant, even though he did serve. But it wasn't just his servitude that accomplishes that salvation. It is that he was faithful over God's house As a son. And as a son, there are different benefits than with a servant. And with a servant, you have benefits. You get to live in the house. You get to serve in the house. But as a son, you get to inherit the house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting, in our hope. It is important for us to understand that Christ is the Son and that we are his house and that there is this calling to hold fast, to hold as our great hope, as our only hope in life and in death, this confidence, that we have this great confidence and that our life is a boasting in our hope. I had to go and go back into Maharus's passage because we have this therefore again. Because my passage today is going to be focusing on therefore in verse 7, which is a quote of Psalm 95. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so you're carrying this, this reality of Christ being the faithful son, And that we are his brothers and being in and of his house, defined as his house. We are his dwelling place, but we are to hold fast. And so you already have that the belief part. You already have this proclamation that you are a member of this great and wonderful house. This is something that we need to continue to remember. And that as we are remembering this, now, now, If today you are hearing his voice, this what was spoken of later, which is now being spoken to you today, if you are hearing his voice and you are carrying, calling to carry with you with hold fasting this confidence and this boasting, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Now let's camp out here just for a moment on this proclamation to us. One is this hearing his voice. Again, highlighted, we've already in just the passage that I've read today, this understanding of this testimony, this spoken word, this spoken testimony. And now we're hearing this testimony, this spoken testimony. We're hearing not only the what testimony was <laughs> spoken by Moses and in testified by david in his psalm and now being revealed and testified in the life and the death and the resurrection of christ if we're hearing this and you should be hearing a lot of this today we are not to harden our hearts and some people want to stop here and go okay whoa all right so you've got my mind going with moses and you're just now proclaiming not to harden your hearts now some of you may be astute to think and say well i know that in Exodus chapter four, and in Exodus chapter seven, and in Exodus chapter nine, and in Exodus chapter 10, and in Exodus chapter 11, and in chapter 14, it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And John 12 even highlights that God hardened all of Egypt's heart. So how are you to tell me, and why are we being told, by David and by, me, by God and his word, not to harden our hearts, when he's also made very clear that he's the one that hardens hearts. And doesn't he harden those whom he hardens and has mercy upon? Those whom he has mercy on. And that could really trip us up right off the bat, saying, well, we are automatically unexcused. We can't possibly accomplish this. Well, if you go back and you look at Exodus chapter 8 and you look at Exodus chapter 9, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So which is it? Was it God hardening his heart or was it Pharaoh hardening his heart? Now this is where theology is necessary. This is where good doctrine is really necessary because when we understand, and we had a chance to highlight this yesterday in our men's study, that we are, because of the fall because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we are already in a state of hardness in our definition of our identity of who we are, because we are sinners. And so we're dead. We're dead in sin, and no one is good. No, not one. And the actions that we see here, and we see, and if you look at not only in Exodus, but throughout the whole of God's word, is that Basically when it says that God is hardening the heart of Pharaoh, he is allowing them to him to continue in the furthering of his hardness. It's not that he comes in and there was Pharaoh was just like I love the Lord. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to do whatever he says. I'm submitted to him. I'm you know that he was a faithful man or that any of us are really in that state. And then all of a sudden God comes down and he hardens for little Pharaoh's heart. No, he continues to leave Pharaoh into his, the hardness of his heart and does not grant him the grace that we have been given by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we know that if we would even listen to the world, or even if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 15, we can see that, this is crazy, if you go to, oh, excuse me, hold on a second, Deuteronomy 15, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, Deuteronomy 15 tells us not to harden our hearts toward the poor. Again, we have this command not to harden our hearts. So I was, I was going to use that verse as just kind of reinforcing what seems like to be a contradiction because God is telling us continually not to harden our hearts. But in 1 Samuel 6, what is very interesting is that the Philistines, priests, and diviners, basically they're witches, those who are involved in witchcraft, when they take the Ark of the Covenant and they're dealing with rats and boils, y'all know that story? It's a beautiful story. (laughs) Even the witches proclaim to the Philistines that they need to get their act together or they're going to receive the judgment of God and they tell the Philistine people, why should you harden your own hearts? They're already hardened people. The Philistines are not God's people. They're not those who are serving after God. And even their wicked witches know that they're going to receive continual judgment if they continue to act in a way that furthers the hardening of their heart that they need to submit and give glory. It's one of the most amazing passages. Give glory to the God of Israel so that they will not receive the wrath Of this God of Israel. So do not be deceived to think that we are just those who are going about their own business and then all of a sudden God comes in and hardens our heart. We're welcome to talk more about that at some other time if, if that disturbs you, but it's important for us to understand our state. And when we understand our state of who we are without God, then it should allow us to help us to understand who we are in Christ. So when we look at this particular passage, when we see in Psalm 95, now this is in a bit, kind of a neat little side note, if I had a little side note in the columns of my sermon. If you memorize Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, What verses do you think you need to memorize of Psalm 95? 7 through 11. Isn't that cool? If you go to Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, that's being quoted in Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 11. They're both 7 and 11. I'm not sure. I mean, I know the verses were added on later. I don't know if they were messing with that when they put that together, but I thought that was pretty cool that here the writer to the Hebrews, it just kind of fits the same pace. Um, not sure if it was by then. I'm sure that there are some kind of odds that that could happen fairly often, but it's pretty cool. And there is something a little bit different if you are if you're already opening up your Bibles and you're flipping back and forth from Psalm 95 to Chapter 3, which um, you just kind of keep in the shelf what you might see to be the different component that we see here in Hebrews that is not in Psalm 95. But as we go through this quoting of Psalm 95. I want to point out five particular things to take with you and then we're going to close because my voice is only going to go for so long today. So as we have this proclamation to us, as we're listening to this testimony and we're listening to God's word and we're called not to harden our hearts, here we have inside of this, not only this admonition of not doing this, but really ultimately how we can go about doing this when we consider the full context of this. And again, the first thing to do to keep yourselves from hardening your heart, from not going further in the hardening of your heart, is to remember that you are tested, as we see here in the, the same, I guess, verse uh, 8, that you do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The first thing to remember is that you are tested because you are his. He's testing those whom he loves. I mean, he doesn't really need to test. He uses the wicked. He judges the wicked. there's not really any kind of testing. He's not really sanctifying or furthering the wicked in that sense. But he does discipline those whom he loves, that remember that you are tested, that when you are dealing with trials and difficulties, and you might think, this is not the time that I, I, don't want to be, I don't want to have that kind of encouragement. I don't want to be encouraged by trials and testimony. Well, the Bible tells us that we should be encouraged by the trials and testimony, or the trials and difficulty and the testing, sorry. The trials and the testing should be actually a component of our encouraging because we are his. You need to remember who you are. In fact, as you maybe encounter this passage again and think about this passage again, I want you to hear the words of the, of the group. anybody ever heard this song by the group called The Who? And it has in there, Who are you? And the lyrics go, Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Just let that echo in your mind whenever you're dealing with testing and trials, whenever you're dealing with discouragement and doubt, just keep having that going in your head. Who are you? That's a, a challenging question for a lot of people today and their identity of who they are. Identity is one of the biggest things being attacked by both unbelievers and believers alike, is there's this great confusion of who. Are you? Who we are? Well, if we are being tested and tried, we are his. And we are to remember, they're going back to the first verse of this chapter, that we share in this heavenly calling with our big brother. And we are to constantly consider Jesus to answer that question of who you are. So number one, remember you are tested because you are his. And then in verse 9, it says, Where well, your fathers put me to test. Well, the second thing to do is do not put God to the test. If you are being tested and you are being tried and you are being sanctified, if you are being disciplined and being reminded that you are His, do not trying to turn the tables on the Lord and test the Lord. Well, how did they test the Lord? Well, it says here in verse nine that they saw the works for 40 years. They saw a lot of things. They heard the testimony of Moses pointing to this God who would be their salvation, who has already been their salvation. Again, remembering that all of this time that we have of, of Israel being in the wilderness, they'd already have received Passover. And already had the feast. They'd already had the salvation from their slavery. They were his. Their identity belonged to him. But they started questioning that identity. They started questioning who they were. And whenever they would question who they were, what would they do? They would point back to what it was like in Egypt. Now, one of the interesting things when you go on these timeshare things you sometimes find out about other resorts. Or when you're comparing which resort you're going to choose on your timeshare, you're wanting to look at the benefits of the other place and and you're all called up and I don't want to miss out. Like if I go on this one place and I don't go to this other place, I might be missing out on this other thing. And so, you know, I do all this research. Like I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. You know, it's like the Israelites here when they're in the wilderness, they've got the brochures of Egypt. The nice beautiful lands of Egypt. <laughs> Come back here where we will serve you garlic and leeks. <laughs> Not that boring old manna stuff. And so they're looking at the brochure. <laughs> They've done forgot that they were living in Egypt and they were slaves of Egypt, but they're dwelling on the nice polished brochure of what life was like in Egypt. And they're feeling like they missed out. That they chose the wrong resort. <laughs> They got the wilderness resort instead of Egypt. But you have to remember that to go back to Egypt means you have to be a slave. You have to be a slave to sin ultimately. And that's the way we live our lives. Here we are, and we are often still kind of like in a in a wilderness, but we we're in this already but not yet kind of place. There's some similar things that we carry over that are not like that are like what was in that time but there are definitely things that are different but we are very similar in the same way otherwise the writer to the hebrews wouldn't be giving us this exhortation we are constantly looking at the benefits of going back to egypt and we are not realizing that there is a deception in the marketing and the chief marketer (laughs) is that the right word marketing agent (laughs) advertiser is satan himself so the second thing is not to put the, to God to the test, thinking that you're not your own, starting first of all in your heart, assuming that maybe you chose the wrong thing, maybe you actually belong in Egypt, maybe you actually belong in the world. So as you're observing all of the things that the world is doing, and you go, wow, it looks like they're having a really great time, they don't seem to be having all the trials and the difficulties that I'm having, maybe it would be that life would be better, If we were somewhere else, and then we start acting like we're already there with the others in the world. And that's putting God to the test. Because we're observing his works, we're hearing of his promises, we're hearing of his testimony, and we are actually, without understanding it, we are actually experiencing the benefits of being the brothers of Christ. But we're beginning to think and feel in our hearts and act as if we're not his, but we are of our own. Do not put God to the test. It is to be a warning to us and a reminder to us that we will lose the benefits. Not that we would lose the salvation in this sense, because, of course, those who are his cannot flee from that. That's not the point of the of the proclamation here is that you can lose your salvation. It's, if you're going, if maybe you were never really of Israel in some sense, or maybe you're going to further your strife in your life by not entering into that rest. I know that so much counseling that I give to people, which is basically when I give counsel to people, it's not like, oh, I've got this figured out. I'm giving this to you it's because I'm constantly reminded of it myself that we're missing out on the benefits of the rest of the Lord because we're still continuing to believe and to act as if Christ has not accomplished his work and called us to live as his. And we miss out on the rest. There is so much rest. Most of the time when I'm counseling people, I'm realizing you're not enjoying the benefits of the rest that Christ has given you. You're striving after That brochure that Satan has put in your hand of the world. That there is a sweet rest now. There's a rest now and a rest to come. And you're not enjoying any of that. And it's no longer becoming your hope. Third, it says, therefore I was provoked. Well, hold on a second, we're still in nine. It says, where your father's put me to test and you saw my works for 40 years. So the third thing is to continue to observe his works to be reminded to go back to his testimonies and to what he has been speaking to you about Christ, to remember what Christ has done. So you remember that you are his, and that should have an effect by not putting God to the test, but then you continue to come back to observing his works. You're continuing to hear the testimony. That's what in last week's sermon, the testimony and the teaching, keep coming back, bind yourself to the testimony and the teaching of the Lord. It is the only place where you're going to be able to be reminded clearly of the truth. It's just like when, you know, I'm again going back to y'all might think my metaphor of the timeshare is a bad one, but you know, I I like vacations. But again, I'm there sometimes on vacation and I I go, okay, I've done this, I've done that. I see this other thing and I go, Oh, I wonder if we can do that. I wonder if that's for free. I wonder if we can, so what I do, I go back and I look at the contract. <laughs> I look at the contract that I was given and it has a list of the things that are my benefits and I go, oh, yes, that is, that was, that, that's included. Hey guys, we can go and do this thing, the, this pool, this, this water park thing, this other thing, that's a part of our benefits. We can, sh- we can go and do this. This has been purchased and taken care of. So we have to go back to the contract. We have to go back to the covenant. We have to go back to the word and observe his works, both in the testimony and in the defining and understanding. And we've got this, I mentioned this earlier, and we even have it as we think about the Heidelberg Catechism. We have thousands of years of his works being testified through his church. There are tons of stories. There are tons of testimonies. And if they all parallel with the word of God, these are to be for your encouragement and for your strengthening. That's why we're here today and we're having a fellowship meal. And as I've encouraged you in the past, I know it's easy to just talk about regular things, but to find ways to think in your mind, even now as we are preparing to have time at lunch together, be praying, what can I say? What can be in my words that would encourage and be a testimony to God's work in my life? Sometimes it's through repentance and saying, man, you know, I really screwed up this thing and the Lord has shown me that I need to quit doing this one thing. And other times it's like, wow, the Lord has provided this and done this. Let your words be that. And that's actually next week's sermon, some too. And in verse 10, it says, for I was provoked for that generation, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. Consider your heart. When you're dealing with difficulty and strife, consider where your heart lands you. Are you landing in the confidence, in the boasting of your hope? Well, you usually can tell whether you have the confidence by what you're boasting of. And your boasting may not think of it in boasting, but what you're normally complaining of. (laughs) What you're complaining about or what you're complaining about others will often tell you what is in your heart. So fourthly, consider your heart's desire. Because even though you're hearing, it says in verse 10, they have not known my ways. They, they knew, they saw all these things. They, they heard the testimony of Moses. They heard the law. They saw all the works of God. But they still didn't know his ways. It was not impacting their hearts. Then it says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest And even though that's a very maybe painful ending to consider, that there were those there amongst the Israelites that did not enter the rest, including Moses himself, because of their lack of belief and their lack of their confidence in the Lord. But consider rest, that there is the promise of rest. Don't just consider, well, they they didn't get it. I guess it's not achievable. No, God has promised rest. And he always keeps his promises. He keeps his promises that those who rebel and continue to want to turn away from the Lord will not enter the rest. But there is a rest for those whose confidence is the Lord, not a rest for those who paid for it themselves. See, the thing is, this great and wonderful membership is not purchased by you. You can't purchase that free meal (laughs) because it was purchased by Christ. There's not enough money in the world. There's not enough work in the world. And therefore you can rest when your confidence is the Lord's. So remember that you are tested because you're his. Remember who are you, who you are. Do not put the, the Lord to the test by thinking you are not his and that you are your own and acting like you're someone else. But then know, know the works of the Lord. Know your heart and know that the rest of the Lord is true and it is complete in Christ. A good parallel passage for this, I'd like for if you have your Bibles with you and I'll close with this passage This is a really good parallel passage, and this is one of the reasons why people sometimes think that the writer of the Hebrews is Paul, because the theology is very parallel. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, I will exhort that passage a bit for you as a close to the parallel of what David gave us with the Psalms, and then the writer of the Hebrews gave us by repeating the Psalms, and may it be an exhortation to you and a hope for you as we close this passage today. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse twelve through eighteen. It says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. It's a bold hope to think that here in, in this day and age, with all the trials and everything going on, that that we can go nah, nah, to, the, <clears throat> to Satan. And say, we are, our big brother has defeated you. You're nothing but a pawn, Satan. We have such a hope. We are very bold. And we're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. They, they, they weren't able to see the fullness of the rest because of the hardness of their heart. For to this day, when they read, even those who are still considering themselves as Moses' disciples, like we had in the lectionary reading today, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Now you might, and this is something to admonish us here and to be careful of, you know, this calling of going back into considering God's works and his testimonies, you know, just going back and reading the Bible is, is not enough. It has to be attached to the hope that this word that you see here, just like my friend told me, my mystery friend told me, that Jesus Christ is the New Testament, the Old Testament revealed. And here we have again, here in this Corinthian passage, it says, the veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So when you're considering this calling not to let your hearts be hardened, you also have to consider the fact that you cannot get yourself out of this hardness of heart, that it has to be taken away by Christ. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. See, the amazing thing is the reason why we're called to go to his testimony is not that we can say, well, man, if I can read all of this and I'm not going to have my heart's hardened." so all of this should be pointing to us and calling us to turn to the Lord. To hope in Christ. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Did anybody has anybody gone back and forth while I was preaching and not paying attention? you're like, "I wonder what he was talking about. So I'm going to read Psalm 95, and am want to read chapter three of Hebrews. What's the part of chapter three that's different than Psalm 95? Anybody figure that out? When you look at verse seven of 95 and Psalm 95, and you look at verse seven in Hebrews chapter three. Verse 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, it introduces Psalm 95 by pointing back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlivens that word. Even the Holy Spirit is a servant of Christ in the sense that he is highlighting the work of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is the spirit that is the thing that we have. This is the promise. If you were with our act study, you would see that this promise that was given to us in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Christ is that the spirit we have that it highlights this word, highlights this testimony, it enlivens for us the work that Jesus Christ has done. And we celebrate that. And the glory belongs to him. And the glory is shared to us because of the enlivening of the Holy Spirit. So we have hope, people. Turn to the Lord. Do not turn to yourselves. Do not turn the pages of the brochure that Satan is telling you to think that you can have some temporal place of life here. Some temporal rest that the, Lord, that the world has to offer. We're going to be talking a lot more about rest in the next couple of sermons to go. It goes for a while as a theme throughout Hebrews. So I'm not cutting it short by not going further, but to remember that we have rest in the Lord, that we are free by what Christ has done and by the work of the Holy Spirit, the veil has been unlifted. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this testimony. And we thank you, Father, that by the Spirit, our hearts can be softened to receive this testimony as our very own confidence and that we can proclaim it with boasting to others, hoping in that same power of the spirit to enliven the work of the son and to bring bring glory to you, Father, for the greatness of the kingdom that you have accomplished through your son. We thank you, Father. We pray that we would keep these words close to our hearts today and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us give thanks to the Lord.